Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Welcome to the Fighting on Film podcast, the podcast all about classic and obscure war movies, from the Normandy landings to the days of chivalry and swords. If it's been captured on film, we're going to try and cover it. I'm Robbie of RM Military History. I'm Matthew Moss of Historical Firearms and the Armourer's Bench. Welcome back to Fighting on Film, everybody. Now, this week, uh, we have some amazing news to share with you if you've been active on our on our twitter and our socials um we are going to uh, the tank museum's fury experience on the 18th of march we're going to be recording an episode and talking to david wiley best experience i ever had <laughs> yeah <laughs> i yeah. can't wait it's gonna be great fun it's gonna be fantastic and if you're a patreon member don't forget that you can also claim 20 percent off a ticket um, and there's a couple of weeks notice to get your ticket, but you can claim 20% off uh, with a code on the Patreon. So please check it out if you haven't already. Yeah, a massive thank you to the Tank Museum for letting us offer that to patrons. Yes, we're really looking forward to it. And uh, if you're there, we'll see you on the 18th. Come say hello. So this week we are covering a 1989 film uh, called 84 Charlie Mopic. And it's a Vietnam War film. We've had so many people asking us to cover this, haven't we? Every time we, we mention we, we're going to do a Vietnam War film, someone always mentions 84 Charlie Mopic. To run down the plot very briefly before we do our, our regular rundown of, of, of actors and uh, production, the film is uh, based on a, a long-range recon patrol unit, the LRRP, or, or LERP, abbreviated to, and they're on a mission, and it's all told from the perspective of the cameraman, hence the Charlie Mopics, the motion picture part of it. And the film is shot, it's like a found footage movie, um, so all the camera work in the movie is if you're actually there. It's a very rare within the genre to use that yeah, in filming. It, it's it's like found footage sort of it, uh, yeah. approach, isn't it? It's it's um, often more associated with with the horror genre than the war film genre. Yeah, like Blair Witch and Paranormal Activity. Yeah, it's like mm. that. I think this might be the only time that it's used in a narrative war movie. I know you get a lot of documentaries from Vietnam War era that are shot like that in the field but you don't get a narrative movie like them really um i can't think of any other examples that that try the approach um, no no i if, if people can think of anything that even comes close do let us know 
but yeah, it's it's an interesting concept, and I think it it has its um, pluses and minuses. I think when it comes it to that yeah. attempt at using uh, the found footage element of it, some of it's really quite good, though. I must say, some of it works really well. Some of it doesn't, and uh, it become clear as we go along. So uh, I'm on production this week. So the film's directed by Patrick Sheen Duncan, uh, who is actually a Vietnam War veteran himself. Uh, he wrote the 1987 uh, HBO series, Vietnam War Stories, um, which had a young Wesley Snipes in it, if anyone's seen that. It did, didn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And he also went on to write 1996's Courage Under Fire with uh, Denzel Washington. That's cool. Yeah, it's good, isn't it? Uh, the film was shot in South California on 16mm film reel. Um, it was an independent production. It was distributed by New Century Vista Film Company uh, in April of 1989. And it's obviously, as we mentioned, found footage genre. And uh, Dale Dye's Warrior Inc. did the military advising on it. And it's actually mentioned on Warriors Inc.'s website. And the the chap who did the advising is called Russ Thurman. And he was direct, he was doing the, the advising because Dale Dye was appearing in the Super Carrier series at the time. And from their website, it says, uh, we designed a week-long training curriculum for the long-range recon reconnaissance patrol members. We spent a good deal of time on reconnaissance techniques, stealthy movement in the field, camouflage discipline, and small arms familiarization. Pretty cool. We've got a review this week from the Washington Post. It's from May 27th, 1989. We'll join the review about halfway through. Designed to chronicle a single mission into the jungle, the point of which is never made clear, the film is structured as a cinema verite diary recorded by a cameraman from Mopic, the Army Motion Picture Corps. The desired effect is one of intimacy, that you are there in the sensation. But because the perspective is so limited, every shot is from this one camera mounted on the man's shoulder. Never have you felt so emotionally distanced from the action, so uninvolved. It doesn't help either that the sound recording is so shoddy that the dialogue is virtually unintelligible at times or that whatever talk can be understood is so unremarkable, the details of the soldier's life are so well known by now from previous films, that when one of the boys rhapsodizes about dry socks, you're sure you've seen this same scene before, or one just like it before. The director's technique isn't much of a help to the actors, who, if they register at all, are one-dimensional as the characters' generic nicknames. The principal deficit, though, is the film's lack of urgency, because it has nothing new to contribute to our perceptions about the war, you wonder why it was made. So the, there's some elements that I agree with and, dis, and there's some I disagree with. So I disagree that it's um, that the, the characters are one dimensional. I don't think they are. There's some good development to, to some of them. Yeah, I agree. Um, yeah. Uh, and I, I don't feel like it was a film that didn't need to be made. I think what is being perhaps described there is perhaps there's an element of fatigue around mm. the Vietnam War genre. Definitely at that time. Of that late 80s period. Yeah. I think perhaps, you know, we've had uh, the Vietnam War Story TV series. We've had um, Platoon. We've had we've had the majority of, of the big Vietnam War films by that point, Hamburger Hill, etc. Casualties of War was in 89 as well. Exactly. Five Base Gloria. Then a whole glut at that point. And it does speak to perhaps a little bit of fatigue because maybe the reason that these characters are so often shown is because they reflect the people that were there them being stereotypes some films do make them stereotypes i don't think this film goes the whole hog of making them stereotypes i think some of them perhaps are but that might be acting ability um mm. but i think really 
the characters are quite well defined. The actors, although mostly unknown, are you know they they carry them quite well. I think so too. The directing's fine. I think the single point camera thing it works, and I didn't really have an issue with the sound either. I mean, I could hear it, but perhaps it no. was, it's been remastered and when it when it came up on uh, Prime. The version we watched on was on Amazon Prime. It's it's quite good if you if you've got Prime, do seek it out. It's it's worth watching. Yeah, I think the review is a little bit scathing um, in places. Um, I think for an independent production, it has a lot of scope. How did it do in the the one word reviews? Oh, yes. So this week, the one word reviews, yeah, we put it out every Monday. If, if you're on the Twitter, please, uh, please join in. So we had at, fight, uh, at fighting on film, at fighting on film. Yeah. So uh, Andy HB said underrated, which I, I tend to agree with. Gary from Calais said excellent. Uh, Natsec nerd says watchable. And Charlie Sher- Sherpa said self-reflective. And I think that's probably quite a good few words there to sum up the movie. I do mm. think it's underrated. And I think it might be underrated because of maybe the style puts some people off watching it. If you're not a fan of that found yeah. footage thing, it can it can feel a bit disjointed. It can feel a little bit. I do agree with the review. At times, it does feel like you're not part of the action. Yeah. But if you've seen TV news reports or combat footage from the Vietnam War era, it's not shot like a movie. It, it Of course it's not because the cameraman can't get that close to the act. You do see firefights. There's clips of, of, of patrols shot by CBS News reports in the, in the early 70s, in the late 60s, where you see a far-off firefight. And by the time the cameraman's caught up to it, you've got GIs, you know, searching bodies and trying to find information. You don't see the action. There's parts of the movie that really do feel quite authentic. But then there's parts of the movie where it does feel like, okay, the movie has to do this because you couldn't develop any of the characters or plot if you didn't do certain parts of the film. As I'll talk about later, I feel like they could have been done differently. But yeah, there were some great one-word reviews this week, guys. Um, and in terms of awards, the movie did really well. Um, it won the Grand Jury Prize at Sundance in 1989, which is you know a fantastic award for a, a first-time director like Patrick Duncan to get. And then he had Best Feature and Screenplay at the Independent uh, Spirit Film Awards as well. So it did well. It, it was well-received. Yeah, that is impressive. Mm. And financially, I, I don't think it did very well, but I couldn't find a budget, so... I think it made just over $150,000 at the box office. So that might have recouped its, it might have recouped its budget. Well, yeah, I don't know. Perhaps. I couldn't I mean, find any the, solid information. The fact it's shot in uh, South California and um, it's only a minimal cast, I think that probably mm. helped it on budget side. Speaking of cast, I have cast this week and it's, it's a small, but fairly well-rounded cast. There's no one in there that's really particularly well-known. Um, LT, the lieutenant that joins is the lieutenant, which joins the the, the patrol, is played by Jonathan Emerson. Um, and he had lots of small TV roles. Uh, he was the newscaster in Mars Attacks. Um, okay. Uh, Easy, played by Nicholas uh, Cascone, uh, who's a short timer. Um, and he uh, originally appeared in Vietnam War Story, which the director wrote um, as, as uh, Zadig, his character was called. Um, and he also had a small role in Titanic as well. Uh, Pretty Boy was played by Jason Tomlins. Uh, he was a boom operator on Vietnam War Story um, and, and subsequently had a few TV roles. Hammer was played by Christopher Burgard. Um, he was in Tour of Duty, another Vietnam War TV series. That's a classic. And he did lots of other, um, yeah, I think that ran for like three seasons, didn't it? Yeah, it did. Um, it did quite well. And then uh, he was in lots of other TV after that. 
Uh, Cracker was played by um, Glenn Morshaw, who's probably the most successful of the cast, actually. He's been in lots of TV. Uh, he was in Under Siege with Steven Seagal. He was in Heroes of Desert Storm, uh, By Dawn's Early Light, uh, War and Remembrance. Uh, he was in Air Force One with Harrison Ford. He was in Black Hawk Down as well. And then outside of the war genre, lots of TV roles, lots and lots of stuff there. Is that the, the Southerner the Southerner guy? That's right, yeah. Cracker. He played Halsey in Pearl Harbor, I think, as well. Did he? Okay. I think he did, yeah. OD, uh, the hard sergeant, was played by Richard Brooks, who was also in Tour of Duty. Uh, and it did lots of TV since uh, Law and Order, uh, NCIS, uh, Good versus Evil, lots of TV. In Firefly, I think, as well. He was, yeah. Yeah, that's right, yeah. yeah. Uh, and then Mopic himself was played by um, Byron Thames. Um, he was also in War Story um, and has done lots of TV and voice acting since. And that rounds out the cast, really. Yeah, very small cast. You don't get anyone else. You don't even see anyone else, do you? No, I mean, you barely see the Vietnamese, the NBA. You get a little glimpses of them in the distance. And um, well, there's the the, um, the prisoner they take, but you, you barely see his face. You definitely don't get a longer the short and the tall element to this one no you don't there's a little bit there's a little bit where they, they question whether they should take um the body of one of the guys that is killed or the prisoner and there's an, that's an interesting very brief moral aspect to the film it's, it's in and it's out in like five seconds i think and we talked about early on issues like there's parts of the movie where i just wish they'd gone into more depth the main thing about the movie is it's meant to be a filmed combat mission by this mopit guy for use by the army or, you know, the Marines or whoever to show how you do a combat mission as a LERP team. Yeah. And it starts off interestingly enough, because, you know, they get down and then they bicker about, you know, they're like, oh, you know, make sure Mopix kits all stowed away, you know, make sure, you know, gaffer tape up your little odds and sods because you don't want to make any noise. Like your for chair. the rest of the movie. I know. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> it's the bane <laughs> of my existence. It's bloody chair. Um, but for the rest of the movie, they're just non-stop chatting and talking. And a LERP team just wouldn't do that. No, absolutely not. Like the, the noise, the sound that they're making in, in on that patrol is just too much. Um, yeah. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I, and the, the lieutenant should have probably explained um, the mission of the, the, the Mopit guy and his mission to create this training film before they left. Because he does it, it just, in the field. They're like, yeah. they're on the patrol. They take a break. He sits down and they start chatting. He asks him a couple of questions. It's when they're sorting out the kit that you, like you mentioned, and he asks him, you know, questions. And he says, "Well, that's what we're here for. We're here to to film this and and learn some of those things and take them back." It's that's a little bit disjointed for me because then he explains that he volunteered for for LERP because he wants to be uh, in in the ship. Basically, he wants to be in combat yeah. and get ahead. He wants to be a captain or a major by the time he leaves Vietnam. And that was quite true, actually, of Vietnam. I've been reading a book uh, called Kill Anything That Moves, which is about the American war crimes um, that were committed in Vietnam. Um, but there was a whole uh, sort of culture of uh, officers wanting to go to Vietnam because it was how you got promoted. It was how you how you bettered yourself as a, as a careerist soldier. You went out to Vietnam and yeah. you saw some action. Yeah. Um, so that's quite true. I thought that element of it was was interesting. But then how he just goes from being, as you said, this meant to be this guy working with Mopic as a sort of director trying to sort of hold it all together. That's how I saw him at the start mm. to then go to this. Oh, no, I want to be like a, a gun ho 
LT, it's a bit, yeah, it's too much of a character shift there. Yeah, it, it just doesn't help. I don't think it helps the narrative. I was watching a Siskel and Ebert uh, review they did, and Siskel said he only liked the movie when it was doing things that felt like a war movie when it was doing all the the chatting and the everything else it felt like a a narrative movie and you just you were forced to watch these sections so the plot could be developed that's where it fell down because i was like oh okay i know you're having this speech with your your sergeant or your corporal or whatever because you have to because i as an audience member have to know what you're doing but there's just a way you could have shot that there's a way you could have got that in there without having to do it all the time yeah I, I mean perhaps it's directorial inexperience um could be with the with the concept of a of a one one camera setup and it's all best person i think it's interesting that they crammed as many well vietnamisms into oh, it yeah, as possible loads. and yeah. I, I don't mean that as tropes i mean there's lots of little things in there that Obviously, the the right director wanted to get in from his experience, or yeah. you know that sort of thing. So there's bits where it, where he's talking about you shouldn't have your grenades hung from your flat jacket because if you actually pull a pin and it drops and you know you can you know, kill yourself, um, you mm. should tape them up, make sure that the um, the pins aren't going to come out. Then there's lots of really cool stuff about how to set up booby traps, and yes. and to also find them. One thing that stuck out to me was. There's a bit where they're about to bring in um, an artillery um, fire mission down on a uh, MVA regiment or battalion that mm. they've they've come across, and they're talking about well, we'll leave chewing gum wrappers around here, make it look like we're a platoon, and then we'll leave this one helmet. And he sets up a grenade under the helmet. You're you're in contact at that point. You're about to, you're <laughs> about to go into an in, into action. You aren't yeah. going to be talking and explaining to a camera in such detail that that's yeah. something that you could do back at base. And I don't think yeah. in reality, someone on a LARP where um, noise control is at a maximum would have been going, mm. well, what, you know, I'll take your HLT and we'll, you know, your helmet and I'll, I'll put a grenade under it and we'll, you pull a little string and it, the pin comes out. And you, that's the thing just, where you have to suspend this belief a little bit it's where it's the, too much that's what it is it's where the method of filming the movie falls flat for me because you can't not say that directly to the audience because they have to know it i think at that point there should have been like a cutoff where everything got serious and the whole filming the mission as a method of training back home ceased where it was just he documented it he wasn't asking them to explain things and talk about themselves etc that continues after the first contact with the enemy, and it doesn't. The, the last doesn't work as well. Minutes are the strongest part of the movie for me, um, yeah. and I'll talk about it later. Um, but I completely get what you mean. I mean, like to, to say my final thoughts earlier, early is I wish they'd have cut back to maybe perhaps this is where my sort of I'll mention it later on. But I think more budget would have helped the movie. But but I wish they would have had sections where they were doing it, like the guy with that grenade you were talking about he could have just been doing it and then you could have cut back to a you know like a lerp or a, someone at Rakondo um who trained the lerps up being like i oh, know this is the thing that we do when we're out on patrol like this is a great thing to do for lerp units and then cut back to the next sequence yeah so that would have been a, like yeah that would have been interesting you know so it's been edited after the fact 
you could have had it so as you were watching the finished product that's how i thought that's how i wished it would be i've seen this movie three or four times now and every time i watch it i'm like oh you see and you, you can there's do this, there's a you chance can, here to, you can do yeah. a, an effective thing where there isn't much dialogue i mean look at contact for instance the uk the, the british movie about northern ireland on a patrol it's a similar sort of idea very and, much so and there's no speaking in that whatsoever really no there's maybe a page of dialogue if you're lucky in that movie yeah, that's really, I did actually make that connection. That's a really good way. If you haven't seen that movie, by the way, people, that is a fantastic one to see. Yeah. Really interesting. Um, yeah, yeah we're, we're trying to get a, a good guest on for that when we do it. But perhaps with all this talk of <laughs> things we didn't like, maybe we should talk about things we do. And you know we love a bit of Ali Tally. So maybe we should segue into that. Absolutely. It's time for Ali Tally on Fighting on Film. So, as always, the Ali Tally is our segment where we discuss cool kit and weaponry. And this week, Rob, I think I know what you're going to pick. I recently dug out my uh, Vietnam kit that I, that I used to do reenactment in um, and saved it all, like cleaned it all up and things like that. And I've been lusting after this particular weapon for a few months now um and it's the xm177 e2 which is it look if you're you know modern firearms it's it's the forerunner to the m4 carbine yeah it was developed during the vietnam war um called the car 15 um as well you see both uh terms used when people refer to the weapon car 15 or carbine it was it was developed as a submachine gun um at the time and it's a small version of the the m16 basically i mean the the early version was just like a mini m16 a1 yeah with the triangular foreguard and everything yeah and it ended up being really well thought of by mac v sog those really sort of special elite special forces units and they ordered 510 of them in 1968 and they made it made their way to theater they weren't officially used by the army um, because they didn't put in an order um, from my uh, research but they do appear with LERP teams. They appear with, uh, you know, some, some infantry have them, air cav use them too. Um, but we're not, no one's really sure. Well, I haven't seen any really, you know, uh, solid evidence to say how those weapons made it from. There's photographic evidence, but. There's photographic evidence. There's not written down evidence. I mean, they even end up in the hands of Australian SAS teams. God knows how they got them, but they did. Anyway, that's conjecture. That's just for another time. But this movie has two of them. So Easy has one and OD has one. And I don't think they're real XM1772s. I think they're what other movies at the time were using were uh, cult sporting carbine lookalikes with like the, the civilian version of it. Civilian version with the yeah. flash hider made, welded on. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's what they are because uh, Casualties of War has them too. And I think they might be the same weapon. I'm not sure where they got their weapons from this. I absolutely adore that gun. I think it's such an interesting weapon mm. that was developed in in the war. It's sort of a, and I, sort of on those iconic gun, guns of Nam, and then it breeds the M4 carbine that has just taken a, a complete world of its own. What's really interesting about that is they actually talk about it in the film. So there's a yes. bit where the lieutenant lieutenant um, says, "I thought SOP for a uh, radio op was a pistol sidearm." That's and, it, yeah. and easy basically laugh, laughs that off and says, well, of course I want a bit more firepower. Um, what does he say? Everyone needs a gook shooter. Is that what yeah, he says? Exactly. Exactly. Um, yeah. 
It's Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Another one of those heavy Vietnam dialogue um, mm. exchange. And then they refer to it as a carbine in, in the film, which I thought was quite they do, interesting. Yeah. Not wrong. Yeah, no, it's too. not. And I, th- I just thought it was really interesting that they specifically pointed that out. I mean, I've seen, I've seen photographs of 173rd on LOPs taken by um, uh, 221st singles uh, photographers. It, it looks pretty accurate. The film it, in, in kit wise, it's pretty good. Um, it's, it's not it's banged good. on by any means, but it's pretty good. And we'll talk a bit more about that in a minute, I'm sure. Mm. But in some of those photographs, the guys do have um, XM177s. and Yeah, and there's a decent mix of firearms. You've got your classic M16A1 yep. that's synonymous with that war. Um, I think the Cracker has a, is it a Remington shotgun? I couldn't be too sure. Or was it a... I think so, something like that, yeah. Mossberg. Don't think it was a sure. Ithaca, yeah. Yeah, yeah. You don't. The one thing about the film is you don't get to see the weapons entirely too clearly. No, which, which um, is it's the, another thing about the the way it's been filmed, isn't it? Obviously, yeah, that's it is. Thing. Um, and one of the things that you do get to see briefly is an M twenty one sniper weapon system, or what's supposed to be. It's probably an M one A that's been mocked up, I would imagine, but it's supposed mm. to be that. It's supposed to be an, basically a sniper rifle M fourteen. It's really cool because you see Cracker opening it up, taking out the stock to clean it, and he's oiling, cool. and he pops it back together. Um, and these guys are all, they're all um, moving through the jungle. And OD and Cracker both have sniper rifles. One's the M- M21 and one's a yeah. um, bolt action. Um, and they're all like gaffer taped up in their bags and hanging off their big, large packs, which I really quite liked. And, it, and they're civilian bought bags too, so it's just a black rifle slip. Yeah, it's nice. It's really interesting to see. Um, I, I, that was a really good inclusion, but we don't get to see it used, which is a bit of a shame. Yeah, but as the LERPs are represented quite well, I think for uniform-wise, they're all wearing Tiger Stripe yeah. that was heavily favoured by uh, the LERP teams. It wasn't regulation, but as it was used by advisors early on um, in the Vietnam conflict and it was bought in country and then... Um, from that, the U.S. Army developed Erdl pattern camouflage in '68, I think, um, and that became quite popular as well. So you see a variation, but they've all got target right. stripe on. I think it's iconic. It's an iconic look, isn't it? But then LT and Mopic, they're just wearing third pattern uh, jungle fatigues, and LT is an FNG, the, the fucking new guy, and he's got his flak jacket on. Yeah. He's got everything hanging off him. He looks like he's just literally just walked out of a the quartermaster's stores yeah. and there's some good dialogue where they're like are you still wearing your flat jacket in the jungle lt 
sort of you know iconic look of that war because I think we when we think of Huey, the Marines at Huey, they're all wearing them, especially in formal jacket. Um, that that's another little iconic thing there. And they all had the correct twenty round mags. They did as well. That was a nice addition. Yeah. Um, and uh, I think OD at one point has jungle magged uh, twenty mags as well. Yes, I thought that too. When he goes into the firefight, he has them on, which I thought was a nice little inclusion because it shows, you know, he's ready for the firefight. He wants to have that quick yeah. reloadability. Um, I really like. There's a little bit where he, he tells the LT not to load twenty rounds into his mag, load eighteen, so he yeah. doesn't jam. Those little bits re- worked really well. I thought they were before they did things got serious and, and they got in contact. There was elements of, of that that went really well. I think another thing, OD had his beret. That's nice. The only thing that annoyed me was um, Easy had a helmet on. All the pictures of Lerps I've seen, all the research I've done of Lerp teams, I don't think they ever really wore helmets. No, I suppose it's extra noise, isn't it? Possibly, yeah. I mean, he had a, he had a, a hot weather cap on mm. um, early on. But I just thought it was weird for him to have a helmet. But maybe because he's a radio guy, maybe maybe he did. I don't know. Yeah, um, perhaps so. Just yeah. interesting inclusion for me. So anything else for your alley pick? The M60 was cool. There's some, quite a lot of suppressing fire. Quite accurate as it would have been. Um, Although, did you see the bit where he was having his sort of like moments of camera where he was talking about like life and stuff. And he went to like load this M60 up with a fresh belt. And he tried to push down the the top of it and it didn't click but he just held his hand over it like to stop it to make it look like it clicked in place <laughs> i didn't notice did that. you notice that no oh, i didn't it was funny i don't know if it's intentional or not but surely i was like do another take it didn't click it didn't no, click he's clearly down. he's clearly like he's done a good take there and he's like i'm not wasting <laughs> yeah. this and yeah it did. i'm gonna it did i'm gonna like play that. this off like like this is closed properly but then it felt authentic as well if it's meant to be found footage it did work but i just thought it was a funny inclusion so that was another uh, action-packed alley tally there. I mean, I, I, I'm, an, I'm a massive fan of Vietnam War movie genre and obviously having done reenactment of it before, I always love seeing the kit represented on screen. It was nice to see Lerps represented rather than just ordinary grunts, um, which is always nice. Hello, Robbie here. Did you know you can support the podcast on Patreon? Join the supporting cast today and gain access to exclusive perks such as discount codes, our monthly Patreon film votes and the chance to get exclusive merchandise before anyone else. Search Fighting on Film on Patreon or find the link on our website. Thank you. Now back to the show. Matt, favourite scene? My favourite scene um, is one of those pieces of the movie where they're they're doing something instructive to the camera. They stop mid-trail and the word comes down the line and it's uh, to to Mopic. And he says, uh, there's something that, that you need to see. Uh, and he moves up down the trail and gets to OD. And OD points uh, into the grass. And you can't see anything initially. And then he runs his hand along a tripwire. And yeah. illustrating that there's a tripwire. And he takes it down and he crosses to a Chinese grenade um, that the Vietnamese have left on the trail. And he explains how it works, what, what would happen. The point man would trip it. And then um, everyone else would die for cover in the brush either side of the trail. And then he leads Mopic back down the trail a little way and pulls back some some tall grass. And there is a um, 
little clump of punji sticks that have been left. Yeah. Illustrating that, you know, once once everyone dives for cover, you dive for cover onto the punji sticks. And that's mm. a really nice illustration of the realities of jungle warfare. And you see that in training films and and I think you mentioned Robert that it was in a couple, like a CBS. Yeah, there's a there's a great uh, it's on YouTube actually if you if you guys want to seek it out. Um if you're a fan of like Vietnam War we were reporting so I I think it's gonna be incredible. You get some incredible reports from from Vietnam, from civilian uh, news crews. And it's called Grunt's Little War. I think it was CBS in 1970, but there's a battle-hardened um, NCO. And he's explaining really, like, almost verbatim to the movie of how, you know, they use a Qcom grenade and it's um, how they take the insides out and put something different in, how they rig it up for it to, yeah. it to blow. The great thing about this movie is, I think we mentioned it before, is the detail in the minutia, and it really goes into that, is really strong. Um, yes, I just, that's it's very not, true. It, that felt like something out of a training video where you would get like a, you know, where he goes, oh, come over here, check check this out. This is important. That felt like something you could show other LERP teams to be on the lookout And I like the bit where Mo Pick was like, can you move that? And he you know moves the grass a bit more. Yeah, that was really nice. That's a nice yeah. intimate part of that idea of it being the training film. There's loads of other bits like that. There's there's bits where they tell the, the, the lieutenant not to smoke, um, especially menthol. There's a bit where they yeah, tell... Yeah. Um, you know, they they joke, Are you trying to get us killed, Mopic, because he's dropped um like uh, chewing gum wrappers on the floor. There's bits where I think it's Cracker that explains um that he's swapped the uh the fuse from a signal grenade into his frag. So it's it's a it's a shorter fuse, so it'll go off faster. Yeah, I think there's loads of really nice little things that they crammed in there. And there's loads of really good Vietnam dialogue in there that works quite well. Although some of it's a little bit forced. Some of Easy's is really forced at times. Got lots of little idioms for, for being a short timer. I'm so short. You have to dig a hole in the ground to kick my ass. Yeah, yeah it's I'm like, so yeah. short. I, I could um, parachute off a dime. dime. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's great. Though. They're memorable, it's, it's but they're, they're a bit yeah. heavy. <laughs> it's cliched, but you hear stuff like that. You read stuff yeah. like that in vietnam war books and things people oh, yeah, talk absolutely. like that um you know it, it's quite a thing but i think it's laying it on a bit thick sometimes um but no i i do like that bit it's good and then obviously you get that really great bit of practical effects where they do have to dive out of the way yeah of some mva troops who are walking through and mm. lt jumps down and he puts his arm through one of the punji sticks yep and Oof. that's really visceral like it's very really good actually very... considering the budget of the film yeah it's really well done the effects work on that's top notch and then they take it out and he has to get it like bandaged up but that made me wince you know it wasn't <laughs> it was very very visceral very good what about you for me yeah so this week um, as as i'll as i've said all the way through i think the movie's at its strongest when it is replicating like that like war footage that i've seen of of nam and and I know in our line of, of work, Matt, for our YouTube channel, we do a lot of, we watch a lot of archival clips um, yeah. of combat footage yeah. and things. Um, so you, you get to sort of a feel of what it sometimes looks like on camera. I'm not saying I'm an expert in it, but I know how it's sometimes filmed. Yeah, for sure. Um, so there's a, se a section of the film, it's after they've done the artillery strike uh, and they decide that they can't leave any stragglers because they'll attack. That's my second favourite pick. Is that your second favourite pick? Fair enough. Yeah. I yeah. just like the bit where they call it in and you get to see a distant airstrike. Um, 
Well, it's an airstrike. It's yeah, airstrike and, shot and artillery. really well. Like mm. seeing it, I think that's an, another great shot of the movie where you don't see it up front. You just see it going off. Because I felt like, well, that's how these guys would act to it. You know, once you've seen one artillery strike, you've probably seen them all in, in theatre, I guess. Um, yeah. And to them, it's just it's just a part of their mission. They're not... Once they knew it was on target, they just got out of there quick. Yeah, exactly. So after that scene, they they decide to take out any stragglers because they don't want the next alert patrol or GI patrol to be attacked by the, the stragglers. Um, so they, they they go and clear the, the sort of the brush out of, of MVA. And there's a, a little section, it's a tiny little section where they're sorting out who's how they're going to attack this group of NVA in the clearing. Um, and it's and it feels it does feel like found footage because you you feel like you're watching it play out where it goes, look, there's a go over the rocket launcher and you've got to kill that motherfucker. Mm-hmm. And he shows them like where the guys are, you know, you you do this and he and they so OD throws a grenade. And then you see two of the lads rise up out of the little bit of cover. They they fire a few bursts from their from their uh, XM one seven sevens, and it's over. It's over in like ten seconds, fifteen seconds, if that. And I really enjoyed that because it felt like an actual engagement. It wasn't like a prolonged firefight, like where you see like you know you see MVA running in from one side, MVA running in from another. It's not like a traditional war films firefight where you have to see both sides exchanging fire. You just see the lads pop up. They do what they've got to do and it's over. And I yeah. really enjoyed that because in that sequence, Mopic, the, the cameraman, is, isn't is just filming a static m- mid shot of them all chatting. It's him, you know, moving the camera through cover. It felt more like how a cameraman would have to react to these yeah. situations. I just wish we'd had more of it because I think that's when the movie is really strongest. And there's another section where OD gets shot and they're trying to get to the evac point. And there's a tiny bit of contact at the other end of the road that they're on this clearing. Yeah. And you don't and see it. Camera, it's out of frame. You don't see it. Yeah. And by the time the cameraman's turn round, the two lads are sort of reloading after they've engaged. And I thought that was really good, really good filmmaking. And just the final shot, um, spoiler alert, if you haven't seen it, uh, <laughs> Mopic doesn't make it out alive and they're flying away in, in the Huey and there's a boot that just comes up next to the camera. And that's that, it. That's very good, actually. I like that. And the shot of the boot as they take off is really, really good. Like, and then powerful. It, it runs out to the end of the reel and that's it. That's nice. It's a nice touch. Yeah. That speaks to what you were talking about earlier in that it adds reality when you don't see these things as clearly as you would in, in a set yeah. piece action movie. It's showing the contact because they don't expect it. They're, they're on a trail talking. They're trying to organize how yeah. they're going to move a wounded man. And then it, the enemy just opened fire on them. Um, mm. and that's it all hell breaks loose and there's lots of little unexpected bits like that there's another bit where um, Hammer uh, takes points because OD's been wounded um, yes and it's clear that he's not as experienced as OD but he is experienced mm. it's it's a little bit I'm sure everyone would have taken points fairly equally uh, in, a, in a lot of patrol but he moves off and immediately hits a, uh, a trip mine trips yeah. a, a, a grenade that's done really well as well because that's out of that's out of frame isn't it that's not you're, you're concentrating on od because he's just chatting. visible yeah you're not expecting it boom goes off behind that's really nicely done as i said i think the movie is at its strongest from the 50 minute mark onwards it's it's that 40 minute section where everything starts to go a little bit shit is where it's at its strongest i mean maybe that segues into final thoughts this week 
Hello, I'm Al Murray, and you're listening to Fighting on Film, the world's number one war film podcast. I enjoyed it, but I wasn't blown away, is how I would phrase it. I'm not going to recommend it. Not, well, I would recommend it, actually. I'd, I'd say it's an interesting variation on, on the Vietnam War um, subgenre. I was hoping for a little bit more from it because this is the first time I'd seen it and it'd been recommended a number of times to me. It just wasn't as well done and as exciting as I, as I thought it could have been. It could have had more to that patrol. They could have had interactions with uh, local populace. They could have moved through villages. They could have, they could have done very. could have told things. us what the fucking objective was. Yeah. They could have, <laughs> yeah, they it, never it could have been that. laid out a little bit better too. Um, yeah. Some of the things that, that annoyed me was the the lack of noise control when that was such a big thing for LRPs. Some of them, like, they wouldn't talk once they left the firebase until they got back. Yeah, I, that kind of grated on me. And some of the stuff that they were doing once they were essentially on the run from the, the, the Vietnamese, like the almost ritual prep of Pretty Boy's body, um, Mm. went on a little bit too long so you know the taking of the um the dog tag from his suit pointing in his mouth decapitating his mouth up closing his poncho up um it just it was very it was it was set out to be a ritual and you could see that that's what they were going for but it just didn't seem like even in that situation and yes they've had a, a loss and it's their friend but i don't think i don't think they would um take so long when they know the Vietnamese are so close, the BC are so close at hand. And they do that twice. Yeah, that's the thing with the pacing for me. It's it's too slow when I feel yeah, like if that had happened pace earlier yeah. in the film, perhaps mm. after the first contact, but not after the airstrike, then that would have fitted in better there. But it it just doesn't work for me there. I did feel that. I, I felt like it was it dragged when it didn't need to in that section. Yeah, that's that's just a pacing issue, I think. And I've seen lots of comments that vary. Some Vietnam veterans saying that it's actually a very good representation of of the of uh, of patrols, and I've seen others that have said that it it, it isn't how LARPs you know would have would have operated. Um, yeah, me too. Um, there's an, I've seen a number of. Um, discussions around that around that from uh people were who were army photographers so 84 charlie mopic is an mos it's a uh it's a speciality that's the coat that's the um the alphanumeric reference um and there's there's lots of uh, those guys that have commented on the film over the years and said well when i was embedded with larp teams it wasn't quite like that but you know not every larp team is the same so no of there's course. some assembly yeah. way there isn't there but mm. as i say I enjoyed the film. I just think it could have been lifted a little bit in places by slightly better, perhaps pacing and direction. Mm. Um, I thought the dialogue was good. I thought the characters were really good. Actually, I thought some of the conversations they had were really interesting, and I liked the two camera bits where the guy, the guys, looked a little bit awkward once they, when they started doing the interview because they have to talk about themselves, and then at the end mm. of the interview where they clearly wanted to be over. And they just kind of look at the camera and then like look away. You get that awkward feel. It feels feels human and realistic. Yeah, because Cracker gets annoyed, doesn't he, when Mopic asks him a question about OD, and then he's like, "You can turn that fucking camera off now." Yeah, he talks about race because he's from South Carolina, and he asks, "Would you be friends with him back in the states?" 
and 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 Cracker explains it. You know, they're very very close friends, mm. um, and they trust each other with their lives. Um, that's a, that's a real world question, he says, which is a great line yeah, real again. World question. That was good. And he was the strong one, the strongest. Him and OD were the strongest characters for me. They felt like real people um, because of that friendship, I think, and that bond they'd they'd written them to have. I enjoy the stylistic choice because there aren't any found footage movies like this in the war movie genre. Um, I wanted the director to do more. I wanted them to try more. You know, how we were saying earlier, you could have had the cutting in of someone talking to camera being like, and remember, this is how you set up a ambush or blah, 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 this or whatever, or cut them in chatting back at the firebase as if it's been edited after the fact. There's way more you could have done with the idea and the concept. I'm surprised more more haven't more films haven't been made in the, in the similar style, really, within the war film genre. You know, imagine like a one now. You could have a whole war movie shot on someone's phone from their perspective. Oh god, yeah, easily. I, yeah, you could you could easily have a an Iraq war or Afghanistan. I'd, I'd love an AFPU um, based one. That'd be great. That would be fantastic. Yeah, I mean, yeah, there's so that it lends itself to so much. But I just wanted the film to have a couple of extra zeros on it. Maybe been filmed in the jungle as well. And sometimes it it did that thing where. Did you ever play like the light gun games with the video? Oh yeah, video gun games, like the, the cowboy ones. They'd have someone talking to you directly. Yeah. When Od says to Mopic, "You go and get in the chopper," that felt like a VHS game sort of cutscenes. It felt a bit, you know what I mean by that. It was a little. I bit do, I do. Yeah, it's it's kind of like on the nose. It's instructional. Yeah. yeah, it felt a little bit like that. I'd love to see maybe a remake of this or a, a, another film take of that found footage genre. Because it really does remind me of, there's a couple of movies I wanted to mention, um, if you enjoy this movie, because I would recommend it. I think it's mm. important within the genre. Yeah, yeah. Um, There's a movie called uh, The Anderson Platoon, directed by uh, the same director as uh, Bien Dien Phu, uh, Pierre uh, Schoendorfer, filming a patrol, filming a section, a platoon, uh, very much in the style of uh, Mopic. And there's also Faces of War, which is a 1968 uh, documentary follows a US Marine Corps uh, platoon on patrol. Um, and it really reminds me of those movies because they're all filmed, embedded in with the troops. I feel like maybe what this movie may have been based on in some cases. I do think it's a good film. It's not a fantastic movie. But it's not a bad movie. I think if it had come out maybe earlier with a bit more budget, it might have been more remembered. But I don't think time has been kind to this one. But I wish it, I hope it finds a new audience because it's a good, it's a good film, just a tiny bit flawed for me. Yeah, I'd, I'd certainly agree with that. Thanks again for listening, everybody. Uh, do join us at the Tank Museum if you can on the 18th of March. We'd love to see you if you're there, if you're a Fury fan. Check us out on our socials. We're on uh, Facebook, Twitter. Coming up next week, we have a treat. We have uh, Yesterday's Enemy with Hammer film historian Marcus Hearn as our guest. So look out for that. Oh, that's going to be so really good. Really it. Yeah. Stanley Baker's best work. I'm going to say it here now. I don't Ooh. care who it annoys. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Stanley Baker's best work. I don't care who knows it. <laughs> Matt is giving me daggers. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not. I, I, can, I can get behind that. That's a, that's a great point. But yeah, I'm so looking forward to that. It's going to be great be brilliant so look out for that everyone and we'll catch you next week thanks for listening thanks for listening everyone bye 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 hi 
This is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Hello, this is Danny Pellegrino, host of the Everything Iconic podcast, and I'm here to tell you all about Splash Refresher, because hydration is mandatory, but boring is not. Now, I love my water, but if I don't spice it up, I'm not going to finish what I took out of the fridge. That's why I love my Splash Refresher, which is flavorful, delicious, bright, hydrating, and zero calories. The wild berry flavor is my fave. No, wait, is the pineapple mango flavor my fave? You know what? All five craveable Splash Refresher flavors are my fave because they're so delicious. So get hydrated and enjoy it with Splash Refresher. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most. But if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.